Welcome to Fintech at Haas. Today, I'm joined by Lourdes Ameo from the Berkeley Haas MBA Class of 2019. Lourdes works in growth strategy at Aura, a fintech company that provides credit building loans and personal finance services to low income and underbank customers in the US. Thanks for joining me today. It's great to have you here. Thank you, Michael. Thank you for the invitation. I'm excited. So the, the big question, how have things been at, at the company since the pandemic began? Yeah. So as you mentioned, we are a fintech that provides affordable loans to low-income communities in the U.S. So when the pandemic hit, it especially impacted these communities. So a lot of people lost their jobs. Um, and if they don't have a source of income, it became hard for us to keep offering them loans. So we have to reduce our credit policy during the pandemic, um, and which has been you know, very hard for us as a company because our mission is to help them, right? Um, and in normal times, that is what we do. So we don't require credit history. We don't require the person to have social security number. Um, they can apply, you know, justifying our regular income, even when that income is not like a salary, they can justify it with, you know, uh, freelance work, uh, even informal jobs, uh, as long as they have, you know, a steady income. Um, so yeah, we provide a lot of flexibility because our product, it's, it's, it's you know, designed for this segment and, and to give them access to, to an affordable loan and an opportunity for them to build credit. Uh, but yeah, this time has been very challenging. So we uh, focus our efforts on helping our existing borrowers to pay back their loans. So uh, we gave them you know, options to skip payments. We gave them uh, more options to refinance their loans uh, or maybe to uh, reduce the installment just, you know, to help them out during this crisis. In terms of the problem that the company solves, what were the sources of credit that the typical borrower used to use before you know they come across your, your solution? Yeah, that is actually uh, something that when I learned more about that, I, it was one of the motivations for me to join the company. So these communities in the US, uh, because they are first, second you know, generation of immigrants, they uh, don't have great history or they have a thin file. So that excludes them from the, you know, offer that the normal or mainstream offer in terms of uh, credit and loans with, you know, reasonable interest rates. So the only options that are left for them are these uh, called payday loans, which are 30-day loans with, you know, very high interest rates that uh, don't help them to build up credit. And I mean, and these products are not even suitable for all of them because they require a bank account, right? So, so they can quickly, you know, take out the money from your bank and get paid. Um, and a lot of these customers don't have bank, bank accounts yet. So yeah, so those are the options or maybe title loans, you know, if they have a car, they can, you know, the car as a collateral to get a loan, but still at a very high, high price. So those are the options. That's why um, Aura came seeing with, with a solution that it's uh, 
you know, it's fair and it's an affordable loan. Um, you know, it goes from $300 to $4,000 and they are able to build up credit in a, um, in a long-term loan, you know, with a minimum term of five months up to 14 months, depending on the, on the loan size. But yeah, it's a very, very good option for, for someone who wants to build up credit. You mentioned payday loans is one of the solutions that your customers use at the moment. What's the difference in interest rate that, that, that is charged versus payday loans? Yeah, so payday loans, I mean, it varies because in some states, this is regulated uh, more than in other states. Uh, if you look at Texas, for example, those payday loans can go up to 400% of interest rates. Uh, here in California, it's not that high. But other states, as Virginia, it's is 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 uh, is very high as well. So our interest rates are capped at thirty six percent APR, uh, which is, I mean, if you compare that with with a loan that you and I can get, of course, it's, it's more expensive. But uh, for these customers, that is a great deal. I mean, compared to 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 the payday loans. So and and. This is for, you know, it's, it's a range for, for the first loan, but then when they pay back their first loan, they can get a, a another loan with us, which is, a, you know, cheaper interest rate, even a bigger amount. So, yeah, with that, they, they get access to, to a, a better product. Have you seen a lot of customers take a second loan from you guys? I guess the concern from a business perspective is they get a, a first loan through you or maybe even a second loan they build up their credit profile and then they switch to another lender have you seen much instance of that happening or is the relationship that you develop with the customers really important to keeping them borrowing from you guys yeah so we focus a lot on on developing a, a good relationship with them um, so what we have seen is it's a very repeat like a very good repeat rate so 75% of our customers uh, stay with us and get, you know, renewal loans, which are very competitive when, when they compare it because they have more options now that they have a credit score, as, as you say. But we are limited in the loan size, right? So if they need a bigger loan, you know, they have a bigger project, uh, then, I mean, we're happy that they can now access to a bigger loan from, from a credit union or a bank. Uh, that, that is great. So uh, one of the things that we do to build up this relationship with customers is to provide them financial education. So uh, we do not only provide loans, but we, uh, we give the customers access to their credit score. Uh, we provide budgeting tools. We uh, show them how their credit score is impacted with, with our loan and what they can do to improve uh, the scores with our loan as well, if they if they pay back on time. Uh, and yeah, so we provide a lot of information and, and they value that because that information is not uh, accessible for them so easily, right? So uh, like it, you know, for, for you and me, we have a lot of options to, to get to that information, but um, maybe for, for these customers, it's, it's harder or, or it's not, well targeted to them. For example, the vast majority of our customers belong to the Hispanic community. So we speak to them in their language uh, and we make, you know, 
the, the products and the concepts uh, digestible for them. So they value that um, and, and that's why they you know, stay with us. Uh, one of the things that I have learned, not only at Aura, but in my experience before working in FinTech, especially companies that work with the base of the pyramid or you know, underserved communities, is that, I mean, most of the times, these communities are seeing as, you know, high risk, of course, communities. Um, but if you do, if you get the underwriting well, I mean, if, if you if you really understand your customer base and if you get, you know, the, the right data to, to underwrite them, you will see that that high risk, the conception is, is not that. Of course, it could be high risk if you are measuring them with, you know, and a standard that you use to measure other type of segments, right? But when you open up and are more flexible and use alternative data, right, or adapt your underwriting process to these type of customers, then, and, and you approve them and you give them the opportunity with a product alongside, you know, an installment, flexible payments uh, options that sweet to them, you will see, I mean, it's surprising, the good response and, and, um, you get very high uh, payback rates, which is awesome. And this is the beauty of this business, right? You are helping out these people. The segment is huge, so which makes, you know, uh, as, as a business, it's a, it's a good opportunity. It's a big market. Uh, so you have to nail, you have just to nail down that product market fit and use the right, you know, data and technology to... To, to really, you know, be able to to approve them. I think just going back to your earlier point, the the lack of financial education, I think, is a problem across most demographics. I don't think people really have the tools necessary to manage their their financial lives. You know, you see people saving money yet paying interest on a credit card at a much higher interest rate. It just makes no sense. And so I think combining the lending product with the education is actually a really important tool. And, you know, one helps the other. If they have a good system to manage their finances, then they're more likely to pay back the, the money you lend. The key piece of analyzing these customers is, is using different data. It, they don't fit the standard model that most of the regular banks use, which is why they're deemed as high risk. But what other data sources do you use? And why do you think that incumbent banks haven't really tapped into the same data sources to change their credit assessments? Yeah, so lending is, is, is hard as a business because you have to develop your credit risk model. And for that, you need a lot of data and you need time and you need to, you know, invest to, to really train that model um, to, to improve the performance of, of the model and, and your results. So when whenever you are thinking uh, as a financial institution um, in entering into a new segment then all those things arise right so uh, is it worth it you know all this investment for this segment so i mentioned this because this is what happened in a bank or an established financial institution that you know is, is profitable at, at certain segments right uh, and, and the, the level of risk that they are used to manage and tolerate, it's, uh, I mean, corresponds to those segments. So all the models that they have already work for that. So entering into a new unknown segment 
you know, it's it's hard. So it's, it's risky for them. Uh, and they have to develop all of this. So I think that those that is a main barrier for, you know, established banks to uh, to enter. Uh, so that's why fintechs that, you know, from the start, they have their business model is, is built to serve this specific segment. So from a start, they design their underwriting process and credit models to really work on this segment. So that's the difference. And and which data sources. So it's it's interesting in Aura, we, we have our long application, which is digital. Um, and we use proprietary data. So we ask different questions uh, to the customer to really understand their financial situation, work, employment situation, uh, family situation to really uh, give us a sense of, you know, the risk and their capacity to pay. We gather data from bureaus, uh, you know, public databases to complement that. Uh, but the interesting thing is that because we, you know, we understand that this customer base will not, for example, have uh, such a security number uh, or a 19 or a bank account or pay stops, you know, uh, then we are flexible and our model has been trained to work uh, with with the lack of traditional data points and also to work with non-traditional data points. For example, one of the non-traditional data points is uh, customers are allowed to present uh, check cashing reports. So many of these, if they don't have a pay stop and they earn, you know, their income uh, uh, through checks. So they go to this uh, check cashing place that cash out the money and they, you know, manage their life in cash. So, so that report is something that our model and our system, it's a strain to, to read, you know, and identify this as consistent um, income. Because for us, the important thing is that that you are able to generate a consistent income that and that income considering your expenses so that um, you know at the end you are able to pay back the loan and you are not you know on risk of indebtedness so yeah that's one example um remittances i mean if you you know can show that um or if you receive some help from the government that's also you know uh, a valid source of income that you can, that you can uh, provide. So these are some examples. In, in, in another fintech that I worked before, this was a company that developed uh, an alternative credit risk score based on a psychometric test. So that was super interesting. They created this test. It was like a game to you know answer these questions. Um, and based on those answers, they compute uh, a three-digit credit score that was correlated with the level of risk. Uh, it was super interesting because someone, you know, without any any kind of credit history could get a score with with this psychometric test. So that's another example of, of alternative data. And then in the industry, you have companies using, you know, data from, you know, uh, the cell phone and how, you know, the, the activity that you have with, uh, you know, the contacts that you have, the calls that you do. So those are other type of data or, or maybe your digital footprint. So data from your accounts. Uh, so 
those are other sources of data that you know a lot of companies were exploring. Uh, right now, that is challenging because of privacy concerns. Uh, you know, but I think that uh, companies should uh, develop its own proprietary data source. Uh, and then train their models with that and try to combine different sources. Um, but at the end of the day, it's really understanding the uh, characteristics of your customer base and the demographics. And, you know, so, so you are really evaluating the, the right data points uh, that make sense for them. And how do you test the credit model over a long period of time to ensure that these alternative data sources are an accurate pricing of, of the risk of repayment for, for these types of borrowers? Yeah, so normally when, when you want to develop a, a new credit model, what you do is uh, you, uh, so the data sources at the end of the day are, are you know, a group of variables that are, are that your model will use to assess at the end of the day if this is a yes or a no, right? In terms of approving or declining a customer for for a loan. Well, so when you're training the model, you have to try it out in a in a segment of customers, and basically, uh, the the model is trained with the defaults that you get. So if a customer is not paying you back, that's a default, and then. Uh, that is an indication of, you know, that these these variables and the combination of those variables in the model is is not working, right? And then you have to uh, maybe change that and try out another uh, or a variation of the model. But uh, it takes time because loans normally are, you know, a product that you have to observe over time. So. And as I said at the beginning, you have to be willing to lose money because the model needs these defaults to, to be trained. So yeah, it's, it's a whole science. Um, of course, you have to use you know, machine learning uh, to, to manage all the different data sources, data points. Uh, but yeah, there, there are KPIs that you track to try to avoid you know, false positive, false negatives in the process. You mentioned earlier that some of your customers don't have bank accounts and they rely on cashing checks and you know cash to make their payments. Is that pretty commonplace in the types of customers that you see? And what are the other challenges that they face in terms of their access to financial products? Yeah, so one is that, you know, the, the bank account um, and, and to that specifically what we are developing also it's um it's still very early stage but you know uh the capacity for them to create a, a, an account like a wallet with us so so they are uh, you know bankerized in some sense um and then because you know managing cash is is expensive and it's risky um especially expensive you because of the transaction costs uh but yeah what that is one of the challenges the other one that I mentioned is, you know, that people, these people uh, don't have social security number, right, or ITIN. So if you want to get a loan in a credit union, for example, you need a social security number. So that is, you know, is not an op option for them. So we don't require that, um, which is, is awesome because that, that is one example of, you know, a traditional data point 
for most of the you know institutions that are established. Uh, but then fintechs, I mean, if they design their underwriting model from the start without requiring that uh, data point, then then they are really uh, have to be creative in you know using other data points that they have access to. And if if you look at the space, at least in the U.S., um, there are no many you know lending companies serving this customer base. So I will say that's another challenge for these customers. They 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 have few options. It's, it's a very interesting market. So there is I mean not only because of the you know social impact side, but also as a business. You know it's uh, it's big. Then it's the need is real. Uh, and if you show that the customer can trust in you you know, as a financial institution. And again, this product market fit is, is right. Then you can, you can do very interesting things here. It'd be great to hear more about your role in growth strategies. What's the definition of that role and what does your day-to-day -day look like? Yeah, so it's, it's really super interesting. Um, so Aura uh, provides uh, their loans through, you know, directly to customers through digital channels. Um, basically, you can apply online. Uh, but they also partner with companies that serve this customer base and that already have a distribution channel with physical stores, uh, an existing footprint, right? Uh, and these partners offer our loans to their customers. So when I joined the company, at, at until that point, the company was mainly partnering with big companies. Uh, like imagine a, a big money transfer company with their own stores, like 300 plus stores, uh, um, you know, on different states in, in the country. So, and, and the project that they offered me was to develop uh, an aging network channel. So instead of just partnering with big companies, let's develop a model where Aura can partner with small mom and pop businesses. So these businesses can offer our loans to their customers. So same as, you know, the MoneyGram, the Western Union agent model. Uh, so that was the vision and the idea. So that has been uh, my project since I started. So I started, you know, the strategy from scratch uh, and it was very interesting for me because coming from Peru, I mean, that model is, is used in Latin America uh, a lot. So you, you go there and you have commercial banks, you know, using these agents to offer uh, basic banking transactions. And that has helped a lot uh, with financial inclusion in Latin America, right? So rural areas that didn't have, for example, a, a branch, well, now that doesn't matter because you have a little grocery store, the bodega there, and you can, that is your bank. So that is, is beautiful. Uh, and I've seen that also in, in, in Africa. Uh, and I know that it happens in, in India. So yeah, in the US, this doesn't exist. Uh, I mean, beyond the money transfer industry, uh, the, the banking industry has have not adopted that model. So. Out, I wanted to to step in and doing it for me was you know a beautiful project. So uh, I I developed the strategy last year. This year we started with the uh, piloting and implementation. And just to give give a bit of color, so the um, uh, because this is a new channel 
Uh, so the strategy, strategy required, you know, to thinking about first uh, how these small business, businesses will offer our loans and how they will help our customers, you know, with our loan application. Uh, so we had to create like a new product for them. You know, what is the technology that they will use? Uh, they are used to short, fast transactions. Um, so how are we going to adapt our process to them or our product to them? Uh, what are the units of economics of the channel? I mean, it's a channel that plays, you know, the scale game, but what does that mean for us? You know, what is that scale point that we need to achieve in order to have, you know, a profitable channel? Uh, how, how we acquire these businesses, how we grow, how we expand, right? Uh, so all these questions, I mean, it, it has been super interesting to develop the project. Uh, so the strategy was approved. Uh, so I presented to the board uh, in December last year, it was approved. And well, this year I started with, with a pilot that we, you know, defined to test out some of the main hypotheses. Um, well, and then COVID hit, so that was like, oh no, because, uh, you know, that kind of like put, um, some of the projects, you know, that are for, for growth and, and more like medium term on, on hold. Um, so yeah, that was sad for me. I, I wish at this point of the year I could say, yeah, and then we have, you know, expanded the, the aging network to these many locations. Uh, but no, we have still like a small size because we haven't been able because of the pandemic and and the company reducing their uh, credit policy, uh, we couldn't expand it as, as it was planned. But that's kind of like how we, or at least my, my role. So I'm, I'm part of the revenue team. I report to the senior director of revenue who reports to the uh, COO, who reports to the CEO. Uh, so, but my role is super, you know, cross-functional. Uh, it's a strategy through partnerships um, and, and it has to be aligned to this strategy of the company and to put together an idea and then start implementing that idea in, in a project. Then I have to coordinate with different teams product, you know, operations, and the uh, marketing, for example. So yeah, it's uh, super fun. I really enjoy it. It sounds like one of the challenges with that business model is, as you kind of mentioned, scale. How do you go about acquiring these small mom and pop grocery stores or very small independents? And how do you get enough of them to, to move the needle in terms of scale? Is it just people on the ground, you going out store by store, trying to get them on board? Or, or is there a, a better way and a more efficient way for you to onboard those types of distribution networks? Yeah, so um, this, the answer to that goes into stages. So our plan is like first stage, we have people on the ground, you know, that knows the, the, the segment. So they, they have already, you know, um, a pipeline or, or relationship with these business owners and, and they are the ones onboarding them. Um, but we decided to start with a very small team uh, just to get the feeds on the ground and start getting these accounts uh, and really to understand internally uh, the process of onboarding them uh, because of course we are regulated. So we have to do a due diligence on these, on these businesses. So how, how, how should that process look like? Uh, and then, you know, 
learning to, to how to streamline that process uh, further on. Uh, but then for long term, um, the strategy, it's a, it's a marketing play. So it's, you know, having uh, the capacity to, to market to these business owners the opportunity for them to become an Aura agent, right? Um, and, and showcase and highlight the benefits of, of that. And, um, and, and once they get that, so they are, you know, they apply. So uh, the idea is to have this digital application, super easy to complete, where they can apply. It, you know, that has a, a pre-filtered component. Uh, so because now we understand which is the minimum or which is the criteria or the metrics that we need to assess if this is going to be a good business uh, for us to partner with. Um, and then the, you know, then a, a filter of a you know business development person to talk to the business owner, kind of like verify some things, and then uh, the the onboarding and setup. Uh, but the, the product that we chose and the process that we chose for, for them to do, uh, it's it's very simple. So all of these you know kind of like onboarding setup due diligence process has have been also simplified because as a result of you know. Uh, designing uh, uh, a simple process for them, for a simple product for them to offer. So everything is reinforced in uh, the idea of simplicity, because as if it's simple, then it's it's scalable, right? So that's that's the main idea. What does the future look like for for the company? It sounds like you're you know you're working on this distribution channel. Um, you kind of mentioned you're also working on a checking account type of product. What other things are in the pipeline? Where do you see the company in, in five years' time and how is it different? Yeah, so it's exciting because this is a, a company that is in its growth uh, stage. So at this point, our core product is the loans, but we ambition to provide other products to this customer base. Uh, you know, I've mentioned the uh, the wallet. Um uh, so a product that where they can get the loan and make payments from there and use it as a, as an account. Um, and, and, and that the next step for that is, uh, you know, create kind of like a Venmo product for this community where they can, you know, uh, just transfer money peer to peer, uh, with that, you know, the next logical step is, Hey, why not creating a savings product? Right. Um, uh, and and then why not you know thinking about some kind of like insurance product that is uh, suitable for their needs uh, and keep improving our financial educational product um, you know to to make it more sophisticated uh, with more tools like you know creating great score monitoring getting updates whenever you know you create score changes and having the capacity to simulate. Uh, what happens to my credit score if I do ABC? Um, so yeah, kind of like being the this personal finances solution for this customer base. Um, so yeah, we're just starting. Uh, I think that uh, the future could be uh, very good for Aura. It sounds like a very ambitious vision to become a complete bank in a way for, for these, these customers. But I, I think there's a huge gap in the market 
I can't remember the exact numbers, but I was doing some research on, you know, the number of underbanked and unbanked in the US alone, you know, that's not even considering elsewhere in the world. And the numbers are huge. And I think people don't really realize, I think having that close relationship and a very personalized product for the segment is, is going to mean that you develop something that's needed rather than, I think this might be the solution. And then you try and force it on people. It's not the way to go. You should start with the problem first rather than come up with a predetermined solution. I'd like to shift gears quickly and just talk about you know your time at Haas. What do you remember most about your time there? What, what did you get up to? What experiences do you really remember and that have helped you in your career to date? I was fortunate, you know, to get the, the, the full program in person. So the full experience, you know, <laughs> you know uh, so that, yeah, I, I was blessed. I, I graduated um, in May last year. So I, I chose Haas because I, I wanted to learn uh, more about entrepreneurship and how, you know, new companies are using technology and innovation to solve the most pressing problems of, of the world. I, I want to have an impact and a social impact, but I want to do it um, through business. I think that business, it's an amazing tool to, to solve social problems and, and, I mean, and at the same time being a business, right? Because if, if it's a good business, then it's self-sustainable. So I wanted to learn how can you scale a business that is solving a social problem in, in the right way? I mean, so I wanted to learn about strategy. I wanted to learn uh, how to start a, a, you know, a social impact business. Um, and, and I mean, the experiences that, that I enjoyed the most were, were those classes around entrepreneurship. I also joined uh, a startup that was part of lunch. Uh, and that was a great experience to, to learn, um, I mean, how to develop an idea uh, from scratch, right? Um, lunch, it's the incubator program at, at Haas. So... Uh, I also developed my own startup idea there that is kind of like my other side. <laughs> so I've been interested in financial inclusion, but also in education, because I, I believe education is, it's, you know, the most important tool you need in your life to really thrive. Um, so uh, with my husband and a, a friend that we met at the MBA, we uh, created an education technology company and now we are about to launch our first product so I, I wouldn't have been able to to do that without the you know the things that I learned I have and and that idea the, the startup idea we developed the idea in, in a class that it's called social in lunchpad um, it's a 12-week class you are there are six teams you have you know mentors that help you and from zero to, uh, you know, from an idea to ended up with a pitch deck that you are, you know, ready to present to investors. So that was super, super helpful. The culture in Berkeley, it's super, you know, entrepreneurial and, uh, and people that come to Berkeley, they, they don't just want to get an MBA. That's kind of like, you know, yeah, that's, that's the degree you get, but people, uh, people, People is not uh, looking for the degree. They are looking to really uh, do something that it's you know meaningful for them 
and that is impactful. And a lot of people come here to start a company or join a startup or, you know, start working in the new big thing. So yeah, that, that was, that was amazing. I completely agree. I really like how entrepreneurially focused Haas is. Before we wrap up, what classes and skills did you develop whilst at Haas that have enabled you to you know, really be successful in the kind of role you're doing now full-time? So one of, one of the classes that I really liked was design thinking. So those techniques, I, I find them now very useful when I brainstorm ideas with people from my, with my team or from my team or other teams on the solutions that we can impl implement, for example, for this uh, agent's channel or in my startup. Um, then then the, the other class that I, I really loved because it was a class that I've never took before was uh, Power and Politics. That one, is, is, that one was super interesting because it was completely new. And it's so useful. Like you learn how to navigate the uh, the power and the politics of any type of organization, right? And an organization, by definition, it's a group of people. And when you put people together in a group, then the power and politics come into play because we are humans and that's our social nature. So that class, it's a must. I I will recommend everyone to take it. Yeah, I, I took that class in my first semester and it was really interesting. A lot of the stuff I thought the professor said, when you think about it, it's kind of obvious, but the way he just brings it all together and makes it more of a conscious decision, I found was really interesting. It's been really interesting chatting. I think the work that you guys are doing is A, you know, very important and, but B, you know, there's a big business opportunity there that is very untapped, which does seem a little strange to me. So it's great to see that, you know, companies like Aura and, you know, Nova Credit, they're slowly starting to fill that gap. I'm very interested to see how, how the space develops and, you know, maybe a few years down the line, you guys have a full suite of banking products suitable for your customers. It's going to be a really exciting time. I hope that too. So yeah, maybe we can do another podcast when that happens and I can, you know, talk about that. that that'd be awesome. Yeah. <laughs> really appreciate your time. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you.